You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Sacred, the Wonder of God's World. In this series, we'll learn to see the goodness of God's world as men and women who have received the opportunity to become life-giving people, creatively fulfilling the mission given to us by God. Now hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 2, 5 through 17. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here. And here at Sojourn, our mission is to reach people with the gospel, build them up as the church, and to send them into the world, wherever it is that God would have them be, and one of the ways that we express our mission is we gather together on Sundays. And we um, take time to sing songs of praise to God, to hear His Word read, to pray together, and to hear um, from the Word as it's preached. And so today we'll consider the nature of our sacred mission from Genesis chapter 2 that Melissa read for us. Um, Yesterday, I had... um, I and my family had a rather productive day, Um, at least some of us were uh, overly productive, um, because my wife and I were very productive. My kids, um, uh, they weren't supervised as much, so they they accomplished less, but that was was part of what they were to do, which (laughs) was to occupy themselves and accomplish a little less. Um, What I like to do in the morning, I like my mornings to be um, ripe with truth. So um, I like, the truth of the matter is at this stage in my life, my biological clock just works in such a way that I wake up before everybody else. Um, And I I just need to embrace that truth and I'm fine with that truth. Um, And then I generally try to spend some time reading. Uh, I generally try to read the Bible in the morning so I have the word of truth and then I, I stare into the black eye of truth, which is coffee for those of you that don't know. So sometimes, truthfully, my my wife's 
uh, grandmother likes to say that coffee only comes in one color, and by that means she only takes it black. But I do sometimes, full disclosure, like to put half and half. And when I put half and half in my coffee, my daughter calls it the tan eye of truth, which doesn't sound as dramatic, I think, as the black eye of truth. So uh, anyway, so I generally uh, get up early and spend some time reading. And uh, my uh, oldest son claims that I slurp my coffee, which is a false allegation as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, I like to get up and, and have some kind of uninterrupted time. And then what I do, if I have my life together, if being the key word, is I'll look at my schedule and see what it is that I need to accomplish for the day. And I uh, didn't have much on the schedule, so then at that point, if there's nothing on my schedule, I wait to see what's on my wife's schedule, because that will determine my schedule. And, uh, and so uh, that was the case. And so we had kind of four categories of things that needed to be attended to. We could, we could say they were all, uh, they all had a C word in them at some point. So auto care. Um, because my procrastinatory sins had mounted up over my head, and we had multiple vehicles with multiple bulbs out. So, so we had auto care issues, and then we had um, we had garage care issues, which the garage needed more care than we <laughs> were able to provide yesterday. Uh, and then we had kind of self care, and then the last one was the children. So, because we always have to do something for the kids, right? So, uh, and so we we tended to it. I, it's easy for me when I have a lot of things to do to get kind of overwhelmed by the moment. So I was like, hey, let's make a list of what we need to do and then let's go through the list. And so we're kind of going through and uh, <laughs> my wife was putting together some of these bookcases that the boxes had stacked up in the garage. That was part of the garage care issue, which also related to the children. And then I... I was pulling down totes that were up at the, you know, up the top, some shelves. And I remember when I got these totes, I was really happy about them because they already had labels on them. And I was like, oh, that's great. When we put stuff in there, we can label them. But when I looked at them and when my wife looked at them, she's like, what's in those totes? And I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, God, you know, I thought those labels, I thought we bought those things and they had labels on me. I was getting kind of frustrated. Well, they did have labels on them. I just, when I put them back, I put them to where nobody could see the labels. So <laughs> here I thought the problem was design, you know, somebody else's fault, but the reality is it was my fault. So uh, anyway, when I put them back, the labels are facing to where we could see what was in them. And so then later we had some, some self-care stuff, which was related to like uh, uh, smoking chicken, taking a hike, and showering. So those all didn't happen at the same time. It was separated. So, uh, <laughs> um, but I got to the end of the day, and um, yeah, I, my wife said, "Well, you know, we, we really attacked that list." And I was like, "Yeah, it was. It was kind of nice. There was a sense of uh, accomplishment. You know, there's something satisfying about." getting a number of things done that you needed to get done. We didn't get everything done, um, but we got some things done. And, um, and as I kind of reflected on it, just kind of the way that day kind of served me was that, well, there was kind of a direction to it. There was a direction and a name to it, and there was some sort of, of shared purpose and mission of what we were trying to do. Was it big and grand and significant? In, at one level, no, but at another level, yes. We were looking to make our place better, and that's significant. 
because one, it's our place. Um, and to be stewards of what it is that God has given you is part of who we are, and it's part of what we do. And the reality is, is, you know, all of life could be summarized in such a way. The scriptures bear witness to the fact that people have been created in the image of God, and God has given them a task to do, a mission to complete. And the reality is, is if, if you embrace the fact that God is the creator, and we are the created, and he is the one who has given us a mission, it will it will provide an aim and a direction to your life. It will provide an aim and a direction and you'll know where you're going and you will, under, you will begin to understand the rhythms of the world and the way that it is that the, God has made the world and you'll come to understand more about who God is. But in addition to that, if you embrace those realities, what it will also do is it will serve you in such a way that it will, it will help you be stable and steadfast as, as the random, randomness and the difficulties and the instabilities of life hit you. Because they will. And I don't know about you, but whenever there are a series of events that seem to kind of come out of nowhere or to be, um, to be random, to, um, it, it can make life feel unstable and it can make things cloudy. But if you have an aim or, and the direction, and for us as Christians, is if you embrace the aim and the direction, of what it is that God has placed in front of you, it will give you a purpose. It will provide meaning. It will provide a sure foundation as you move out into the world. That is bore witness in the scriptures, specifically for us in Genesis chapter 2, as Moses writes. And what Moses does in Genesis chapter 2 is he hones in on the, on the inner workings of God on day six in creation. And specifically when God creates Adam and he and he commands him, he gives him work to do in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And it's with these things in mind that it's my prayer, the main point of my message today, is that our mission is to make the particular personal. Our mission is to make the particular personal, and there's three ways that we do that. First, we do it by, by accepting the importance of our assignment. First, we do it by accepting the importance of our assignment. Second, we do that by continuing the beauty in our place. Second, by continuing the beauty in our place. And then third, by, by tending to the limits of our moment. By tending to the limits of our moment. First, by accepting the importance of our assignment. So Genesis chapter 1 is the creation of the heavens and the earth, and it's at the cosmic level. It's a very broad and expansive level. It will continue into chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. There we have days 1 through 7 are summarized there. And again, it's very cosmic. It's very big. It's the mountaintop view. But in, in chapter 2, starting in verse 5 and following, you have the inner workings of God on day 6 of creation. And specifically what takes place whenever God creates first Adam and then he creates Eve. And what Moses does is he kind of, he makes it more of a microscopic view for us to see what it is that takes place. And what you will see is that as you look into the text, that God actually has creation behave in a specific way until after he makes Adam, and then eventually Eve. Look here with me in verses 5 and 6. 
Now no shrub had yet appeared on earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So here you see that God has made the world, and now he is he's going to come to, to the apex of his creation, to the mountaintop of his creation, and he's going to create humanity. He's going to create Adam, and he's going to create Eve. But what he does is he has the world handle itself in such a way in the meantime. It's a temporary sort of structure. Now, you have to remember that one of the keys, this is one of the keys in all of the Bible, but it's specifically one of the, th- the keys that Genesis teaches us is that God is an orderly God and he does things in a certain order. And you are wise at one level, you will see this in the wisdom literature. So the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, Job, even in the Psalms, you are wise if you pay attention to the order. And here the order is, is God is watering the ground, not by the rain, There was no rain yet, but he's watering it by the streams. Now, in the book of Job, God will ask Job the question. It's in Job chapter 38, verse 28. God says, who is the father of the rain? And the answer is obvious. It's God. Why? Well, Genesis teaches us that the rain doesn't come unless God wants it to come. And so we see here, and it's one of the things that Genesis teaches us, is that God can do what he wants. He's the creator. We are the ones who have been created. And he makes the world (laughs) ordered in such a way because he is going to to make the right man for the job. Look here with me in verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put man he had formed. So God plants a garden, and then he he makes man, and then he places man. Now remember, the order is important. First he makes man, and then he will make Eve. And here what will take place is God will initially give the assignment to Adam. Now, Eve becomes aware of the assignment because what we have in Genesis chapter 3 is when the serpent shows up, she states to him what the command of God was. So, again, the order is important, but what happens is is the assignment is given initially, but creation has to handle itself in a certain way for a period of time until God makes Adam. And the one who gives the assignment according to Moses, is the important one, or maybe the ultimately the important one. It's the one by which you order your work. And a number of years ago, I worked for a friend of mine who, um, whose family owned a catering business, and there was a number of things that they did. Uh, one of the things that they did was um, they would, um, they would work, they would have like food stands at state fairs, and he needed um, he needed help at the Indiana State Fair, and so he asked um, myself and my wife to help them. And so I was um, serving my friend and and, uh, and and reconsidering my life as I was standing over the top of of, uh, of a frying uh, a frying something frying vat. I don't know, but anyway, it was a lot of a lot of hot grease, and so I was I was making. Uh, 
deep fried Reese cups and deep fried moon pies. And again, reconsidering the nature of my life, though sometimes that was after I, I took from the spoils. But anyway, <laughs> and uh, there was a, another guy who was working there, I guess a coworker of mine. And um, he, uh, there's a three point element. There are three problems with the gentleman. He, uh, he showed up to work late. He didn't do any work when he got there and he always left early. So these are the three, everything can come down to a three-point sermon. And so uh, my friend was saying, you know, he's going to have to confront him when he came into work. And I was like, yeah, you know, you're going to have to. And so my friend, I was near him, but he was confronting the gentleman. And my friend was, the technical term is hemming and hawing, if you're familiar with that. He kind of wasn't really, you know, it was a three-point sermon, just get to it. And so I stepped in to help my friend, right? I clear because I know what's going on. I broke it down into three points, and so I shared my three points with the gentleman. You show up to work late, you don't do any work whenever you get here, and then you leave early. The gentleman responded with also a three-point sermon. Okay, so I'm going to give you a, a, a free lesson in body language. When a person protrudes, they lower their eyebrows and bring them in, when they lean forward, their body stiffens, and they point with a finger in this region of your body, they're not pleased with what you just said. <laughs> and he responded with a three-point sermon. I don't have to listen to you, I do have to listen to him, and I don't have to listen to you. Which, I mean, seeing we're analyzing the sermons, hey, you know, you didn't really need to use three points on that one, man, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> Well, the reality was, is I, I just assigned him tasks. I just reassigned to him all the things that he needed to do, right? The problem was the solution. You need to show up to work on time, you need to do something, and then you leave on time. The problem wasn't so much the tasks, it was the one giving the tasks, because he was right. The fact that the tasks were coming from the person who was not in charge, the fact that the tasks were coming from the person who didn't have the authority was the issue. And so when the person who has the authority gives us the tasks, it makes the tasks all that much more important now, doesn't it? Because if I give the man the tasks, he was right to say, I don't have to listen to you. You can give me the tasks, but you have no authority over my life. But when the one who has the authority gives us the tasks, well, then they're all that much more important now, are they? And that's the reality of whatever it, work it is that you have been given to do by God is you have been given that work to do by God Almighty. Like, wherever you're going to be tomorrow at 9 a.m., think about this. God himself has ordered all of creation so that you are in science class tomorrow at 9, or you are on a roof tomorrow at 9, or you're going into the office, or you're cleaning up breakfast, or whatever it is that you're doing. All of millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of events have taken place and God has ordered the world in such a way so that wherever you're going to be tomorrow at nine, God has put you there and he's given you a task to do. And it's important, not because the work is important, but because God is important and he has included you in his mission. And in fact, millions upon millions of things had to happen for you to be there. So where are you going to be tomorrow at 9 a.m.? What's the task that God has given you to do? And is the task important because you have to get it done? 
Or is the task important because of who is given you to do the task? Is it who makes the task important or what the task is that's important? And the reality is for the Christian, we come into every situation with some degree of authority that's been given to us. We've been sent there. And we've been sent there by God Almighty. And thus the task is important. And so what we do is we embrace, we embrace the importance of the assignment itself. Second, what we do is we, we continue the beauty in this place. So as the text continues and we start to see some of the details of what the garden looked like that God planted, look here with me in verse 9. Now the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here the text says that the trees were, they were good for food and they were pleasing to the eyes. So they were both beautiful and beneficial. So it's one thing if something's beautiful, but it's poisonous. <laughs> and it's another thing if, if it's uh, beneficial, but it looks audacious and, you know, like slop or something, right? But no, the, the garden is full of all these trees, and, and the image is one of a banquet table. Moses is using the image of a banquet table to where all of the fruit and all of the plants that are being laid out are both beautiful and beneficial. And then what God will do is he will make Adam and then he will give him the charge. And he says this in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Again, the place was already beautiful because God made it that way. The text bears witness to that. And what he says to Adam is he is to tend to it or he's to take care of it. He is to cultivate the beauty in that place. And at one level, it has to, we have to embrace as Christians that every place that we go to and every place that we're a part of, it belongs to God. Like the scriptures will declare in Psalm 24, verse, verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So every place in the world belongs to God. And at one level, we as Christians, we embrace the fact that the world has been created by God and it is, it's there because he wants it to be there. And whatever places we go to, they're there because God wants them to be there. And some of what we do is we're looking to make the place beneficial and beautiful but in an act of service, right? So some of what we'll do on this side of, of the fall in Genesis 3 is we're, we're repairing what's been lost. And so maybe the structures or maybe the work or maybe whatever it is is no longer beneficial because of sin and, and suffering and spiritual warfare. But at the same time, maybe it is beautiful. Maybe it is already beneficial. And what we need to do is we need to approach the place with a, with a degree of love and a degree of affection and a degree of gratefulness and honor that, that the world didn't start whenever we showed up. Maybe the organizations you work for didn't. I mean, for some of you, maybe it started whenever you showed up because you started a business. But I can assure you, you didn't start when the business started. 
If you have that kind of mentality and you collapse your identity into a business you start, I can guarantee you that that's not going to work out for you in the long run. Because when the business falls or fails or whatever, all of you collapse and fall inwardly as well. And you got to wherever you are because of someone else. And so some of what we do as Christians is we say, what is beneficial about this place? And how can I make it more so? What is beautiful about this place? And, and how can I make it more so? We apply this at one level by making commitments. If some make a commitment to make a commitment to one, make a commitment to one place. So for some of you, if you're considering membership, that's a way that you can apply. Make a commitment to belong to one church and to make that church beneficial and beautiful. Not merely for yourself, but for other people. As well as some of you and plenty of you and most of you are already members in this church. So make a commitment. Make a commitment to make this place beneficial and beautiful for others. And we can't, we have to approach this and recognizing that God has given us some agency over the world. Again, he makes, he makes man and woman, he places them in a garden and he gives them a mission. And they are participating. They are embracing the divine command, the mission, the, the work that God has given them to do. And God, he creates them in his image. And, and what that's speaking to is that they are, they are vice regents is the fancy theological um, phrase for that, meaning that, that they also do work in the world and they don't create in the same way God creates, but they do something. So make it a commitment. If making a commitment for your work to be beneficial and beautiful to others, because if it falls on everyone else, I can assure you we're setting ourselves up for failure. Like if, if, the, if the beauty in this church is dependent on me, it's not going to be a very beautiful place. If the benefits in this church are dependent on me, I can tell you it's not going to be very beneficial. I can't, I can't label a tote and put it and in, in order it in the right place. You see what I'm saying? We, we're all limited in what we can do. And so what we do is we embrace that limitation and say, I can't do everything, but I can serve other people. Make that your commitment. And third, attending to the limits of our moment. So as God speaks to Adam, he gives him a command. Look here with me in verses 15 through 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God says to him, all these, all these trees that I've made, you take from it. There's so much bounty, and it's beautiful in that place, you take from it. But there is one tree that you're not to eat from, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why is it that God would would place a stipulation? Why is it that God would give him a limit? What, what is God trying to keep from him? Isn't that kind of the, isn't that a common, common questions that come about whenever a command is given? What are you trying to keep me from? That you would place a limit on me? Or who are you? 
similar to my former coworker, who are you to tell me what to do? Which is a legitimate question. Well, forgive me, I'll be pastor obvious for a moment. It's, it's God's garden, so he can place the limits wherever he wants to place. And then second, what is God trying to keep Adam from? And then eventually trying to keep Eve from? Trying to keep him from death. Moses will say in Deuteronomy 6.24. Moses will also say in Deuteronomy 10.13. God commands for our good always. So is the command a good command? Well, by all means, it's, it's God who gives the command. But this command in particular, it is clearly evident why it's a good command. Correct? Because he is saying to him, you don't eat from this tree because in the day you eat of it, you will die. And, and the wise person acknowledges the limitations that God has placed upon them. The wise person doesn't necessarily say, well, I'm, I just can't deal with all these limits that God has placed upon me. The wise person will recognize that God is the one who places limits on us, and he places limits on us for our good. And a wise person will come from that place and they will say, well, I'm not exactly like God. So, where is God? Well, God is everywhere. But you and I aren't everywhere. But it doesn't mean we can't be somewhere. What does God know? God knows all things. You and I don't know all things. But we can know something. What is God able to do? God is able to do all his holy will. You and I cannot do all of God's holy will, but we can do some of God's holy will. And the wise person acknowledges from the get-go, from the beginning, that they are limited in what it is that they can accomplish, but they can do something. And so they work. They work in such a way that they are saying, I will do something and I will trust myself to the hands of God. So they work by faith and they say, God, establish the work of my hands. They work by faith and they say, God, what I'm doing, I, I'm trusting that you will bless it. And they embrace the fact that God will do with it whatever it is that he chooses and pleases. They embrace the fact that we serve a God who is able to do more than we could ask, imagine, or think. And, and operating that way is an act of faith, and it's wise. It's not foolish. It's not foolish to, to embrace your limitations. It's wise because your limitations are, are the opportunity for God to show you how limitless he is. That's evident. It's evident throughout the Bible. It's really evident in the person of our Lord Jesus. Let's think about this. You have the limitless creator comes and he takes upon himself human flesh. He's born as a baby and he experiences all the things that babies experience. So whenever he's cold, he shivers. Whenever he's hungry, he cries. Embraces all the limitations of it. He grows up. And he goes through the stages, I guess, of what it means to grow up as a baby. And so he's holding his head up on his own, and he's cruising on his own, and he's walking on his own. 
He was talking on his own. And then he embraces the limitations of even life itself. He dies on a cross. But this man is not merely a man, he's God. And he overcomes, he overcomes the three things in life that we can't figure out how to overcome. And that's Satan, sin, and death. And he is raised from the dead. And then he offers new life. And not only does he offer new life, he, he provides clarity to the mission and to the work that we have to do. And he says, do my work by my grace through my spirit. And we have that as it's revealed in the word, and we have it as it's revealed in the Lord's Supper. Because you see, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine, and after giving thanks, he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Take, drink of this. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat from this bread and you drink from this cup, you announce the Lord's death until it returns. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.